that song was boring at all, you guys? <laughs> and then, yeah, the encouragement to think about Jesus makes your life anything but boring, right? Yeah. Hi, my name's Greg. I'm one of the leaders here. Um, as Andy mentioned, I'm on the leadership team uh, with uh, a number of really great other people. We got to spend some really great time together at this conference in Phoenix, and um, I, look, I look forward to seeing what the fruit of that is going to eventually produce. Um, I also get an opportunity every once in a while to, to play some music and worship with y'all, so it's just it's kind of a fun opportunity and exciting for me to be up here and uh, share a little bit about God's Word and maybe what He put on my heart. Um, let me forewarn you, uh, I've been up all night, uh, I, I work in surgery and I've been operating all night, so please forgive me if my words come out backwards. <laughs> Um, I'm barely standing right now, but thank God for coffee. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm excited to be here. Um, uh, speaking of exciting, uh, we just did a, a family trip out to the snow, and it was a wonderful time. And uh, I, was, I was thinking about this message, and I, I was thinking of a particular moment that I had with, with uh, my kids. Um, it was freezing cold outside. They wanted to go out and play. And they had found some walkie-talkies that, uh, like, I think the grandparents purchased at some point. And they wanted to leave us the walkie-talkies, one of the walkie-talkies in the, in the nice room cabin. And they wanted to go out and play. And they would give us updates using their walkie-talkies. And, um, uh, you know, you could kind of hear them in the distance playing, but you don't know what kind of mischief they're up to. But... My 10-year-old Harper, she, she controlled the walkie-talkie, <laughs> so she was giving us periodic updates. And, uh, and uh, I remember this one particular moment, she, she held down the key, she was so excited to tell us about all that she was doing, and as she was speaking, you could tell that she was turning her head, because every, every word, every other word was static, and we didn't know what she was saying, and we couldn't understand what she was trying to tell us. And, um, Finally, after about three minutes of this, she, uh, she finally released the button. We're like, speak into the mic. And, and she did. We were able to kind of finally hear what she was trying to tell us. Um, have you ever felt like, like God was silent? I mean, I, I know I've questioned my own faith. Um, I've, I've asked myself if God really exists. And uh, I've asked myself, is, is he really just a myth? Um, is, this, is this a false hope? Is, is, is there really a God? Or if there is a God, is he really indifferent toward me? I, I, I maybe am not hearing from him right now. I've even thought that, uh, you know, there are millions of people in this world who are indifferent to God and um, closed off to faith. And, and so then I, I've pondered, am I the one who's been duped into a system of, of believing a fairy tale? And um, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I, I, I think that, that the world is actually frustrated, like I can be frustrated sometimes. I think, um, and almost everyone that I've met, they may not claim to be atheist or a believer or, or anything, but I, I do get a sense that, that they long for something transcendent. I call that desire, you know, a God-shaped thing. And so... We all long for something to disrupt our day-to-day -day and to, to take us to a place beyond ourselves. 
But I think that the question that really gets us sometimes is, is why can't God make himself more readily available? Why can't he just clearly explain to us his plan for life? And it can be frustrating. Sometimes we, as a church, speak in a way that those without God can't understand. People are trying so hard to hear God, and we don't often recognize it. But when we hear God's voice in the midst of that, we can't. God's voice sometimes gets lost in the static of their lives and in the volume of the culture. These things and more can overwhelm the opportunity for them to hear God's voice clearly and even our own ability to hear that voice, His voice clearly. So before we get into the text, I want to give you a little bit of context. See, we're in the book of Matthew, and what's interesting is um, there was a period from the last verse of, of Malachi to the first verse of Matthew called the 400 years of silence. All right, this is a period that's, that there was no uh, biblical text that was written, really no clear word that has been heard from the Lord. And so during this period of time, you, you kind of beg the question in me, like, how did religious systems kind of survive that? How did the Jewish faith survive this period of silence? What's interesting is, is that that ritual and discipline is really what brought the Jewish faith through that period. But what's also interesting is that many times these leaders who practiced these rituals did so without a heart connection to God. And so they maybe didn't know God themselves. Now, a little more about context. Under Roman rule, the Jews longed for the Messiah king to come and take out Rome, right? Rome was uh, the occupier of the day in this particular region, and the Jews were uh, under their rule. They wanted Jesus, or they wanted the Messiah to come and, and call out the injustices of their people. The Jews were overtaxed by the Romans. Most of them didn't live as any of the wealthy or powerful occupiers of the day. Is this, is this bothering me? Because it's kind of sounding weird to me. Do I need to wear this thing? Uh, you need it because it records the message. Okay, all right. But, uh... All right, all right. Let's try it all for the way. All right. How's that? I just don't want to be a distraction. Is that any better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty much a loud guy anyway, so I can make it. Not like West Ham. You got two brothers and guys. You got nice hands, Amy. Thank you. Um, <laughs> all right. So back to the context. All right. So we have we have the picture of, of the Roman rule in the Jewish context, right? And when you add to the oppressive rule of the Romans, the religious elite who were also using their position to manipulate and coerce others to heartless ritual. Many, uh, many people of the day were wondering if God even cared about them. Does God even hear them? Did God forgive me? Then one day out of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, the people were hearing him loud and clear. John the Baptist arrives on the scene. All right. Now, John the Baptist is kind of an interesting guy. He began preaching a message of repentance 
when many people dropped what they were doing and went to be baptized. The religious leaders of the day hated John the Baptist because he wasn't polished. He wore clothes made of camel hair. He wore a leather belt. He ate locusts with honey. In fact, he came from what was known or thought of to be a place of darkness. He came out of the wilderness. The Jews of the day used to think that the wilderness or the desert was where demons or even Satan himself lived. Another interesting finding is that there's a stark contrast between John the Baptist and his dad, Zechariah. You see, after the 400 years of silence, God broke the silence through a priest that was actually very well spoken of in Scripture. Zechariah was John the Baptist's dad. He was in the temple when Gabriel came to him and said, hey, you're going to have a son, and he's going to prepare the way of the coming Messiah, and you're going to name him John. And Zechariah said, are you sure me? He said, I'm too old, my wife's too old, are you sure that, that you mean to talk to us? And, and what's interesting is God, because of Zechariah's bad moment, his lack of faith in that moment, he actually took away his ability to talk. And that didn't come back until John the Baptist was born, they're trying to figure out what to name your son. And so they handed Zechariah like a, like a pen and a paper and said, what are you going to name him? And he wrote down the word John, and then all of a sudden he was able to speak so, we see a religious leader who's supposed to hear from God and maybe shatter the silence of the 400 years period of silence that God had. But he lost out on that opportunity. This guy was probably highly regarded in his lofty temple. On the other hand, when we see John the Baptist enter the scene, we see a rough guy who lives in the wild places after being connected to God, coming with a message of repentance. And how do people receive that message? Well, when they heard this message, they thought, God hasn't given up on me yet. There must be more to this walk with God than the empty religious ritual being offered by the religious elite, and they flock to be baptized. Then Jesus enters the scene. Jesus was baptized, was baptized by John the Baptist, and the first thing that the Spirit of God does is, is it led Jesus himself to the wilderness, to the place where the demons and Satan were. And this is where he was tested, and he confronted the enemy head on. Andy last week told us about the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. And what I want to kind of also let us understand as we discuss the context of this, of this passage is that from chapter 4, verse 11, when the angels were ministering to Jesus after his time in the wilderness, to verse 12, almost a year had passed. So during that period of time was when Jesus was doing ministry in Nazareth, and he began his journey to Capernaum, which was like a 40-mile walk. And um, he also fulfilled his obligations as a son. He went and he went and uh, went to a wedding where he changed water into wine. He fulfilled his obligations as, as a son, his family obligations. So he was a good son and the Messiah simultaneously. A lot of stuff happened in between verses 11 and 12. But now it's time for Jesus to break the silence publicly. And as we get into the passage, I want to invite you to stand up as we uh, get into God's word. This is Matthew. Chapter 4, 
verses 12 through 25. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent. I'm sorry. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were passing the net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is God's word to us. Please be seated. So I want to ask you guys, what do we sound like? If we call ourselves the church, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, what do we sound like? We see through Scripture a picture of what Jesus looks like, a picture of what Jesus sounds like. But do we look like the religious elite? Do we look like those religious leaders who live in the comfort of our own temples, in the safety of our own? synagogues? Or are we ones that can not only survive, but also thrive in the wild places because they know God? Are we in the business of sin management? Or are we showing people how to connect to the life and the life that only God can In a world longing to hear God's voice in the silence, do we speak a language that cuts through the static of people's lives it communicates a message of hope that others can hear about the volume of the culture. You see, when you allow God to call you out and call you up to greater purpose, you begin to unlock the opportunity for people to hear his voice through your life and through the static of their own lives. I want to say that one more time. When you allow God to call you out and call you up to greater purpose, you begin to unlock the opportunity for people to hear his voice through your life and through the static of their own lives. So what, what can one who is called by God sound like? And I just want to say a little something about my choice of verbiage here, because I say can, not does. I don't want to say what does God, one called by God, sound like, because I don't want to infer that I would know what God would specifically want to tell you. 
But I think that there needs to be a shared language that we need to have as those called by God to speak. Or God to be have sometimes. What can one who is called by God sound like? Perhaps it's one who highlights freedom. Matthew 4.12 tells us that Jesus went to Capernaum. Remember, it's a place where there was a major mixing of Jew and Gentile um, living together. And we're told that this trip fulfilled prophecies that were spoken in Isaiah. What's interesting to me is how, how Matthew chose to frame this information. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 says what was actually a message of hope. There will be no more gloom and no more distress. In other translations, it says there will be no more sadness and no more despair. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has gone. The language that they use, a great light. A light has gone. In John 1, verses 9-13, it tells us the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The light of Jesus was his life. His life was the light to all mankind. Not even his miracles that he performed were the light. They were symbols. But God, what God is saying is that that if you trust Jesus, if you walk in the light, you're going to see things for how they really are. When the light shines on you and reveals your nakedness, really what you're seeing is your true condition. The problem is that we so often as Christians turn the light of God into a spotlight of judgment, condemnation, and blame. So the church becomes known as one of the most unsafe places. But John and Jesus came to show that the light did not come to condemn. But the light is used to reveal imperfections. The light, however, was always supposed to be a guide to freedom. I'm reminded of Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. We use a lamp to not bump into the dangers of the path. Jesus did not come to condemn. You see, when we condemn, we actually become the darkness. Then we bring judgment. Think about that the next time that we engage in our social media threads. Do we celebrate when someone's knocked down from their pedestal? Do we celebrate when people are seen in the worst moments? Wouldn't it be amazing if people saw us point to a light that freed us from judgment, condemnation, and pain, and that we could be a people who could be trusted? I mean, wouldn't it be cool if we called each other out for the good things that they did, like, whoa, Andy, dude, did you just pay for that guy's coffee? That's amazing. I was just thinking, like, whoa, Hamilton, did you just give that guy your, your parking spot? But I didn't want to take it too far. Um, <laughs> You see, what if we were seen as a people who sought understanding versus being understood? 
What if we were people who were seen as those who love to sit around the table and listen instead of trying to be heard? When the light of God dwells in you and through us, we actually become a work of art, like a mosaic. We become a brightly lit sign to those who are looking for freedom in life. And this is what it means to live in the kingdom. So how else can one who is called by God sound? Maybe it's one who coaches that change as possible. See, I like to fish. And every summer when the water warms up, I like to go offshore and catch some bluefin or yellowfin or yellowtail. My kids love it when I bring home fresh fish and we make some sushi. But more recently, my friend Grant, Grant, are you here? Oh, I don't he's here. Back there he is, anybody. He, um, he invited me to go lobster fishing. And what I mean by lobster fishing is lobster diving. And I've never done that before, and I'm always up for adventure, adventure it was. You see, you go, you go at night in the pitch black ocean with nothing but a flashlight, and you actually wear weights so that you can actually sink into the water more. Okay? Now, Grant had already primed me and he told me the gear I needed to get, the time I needed to be there, and all the things. And we went with a group of friends, and I'm watching them search and hunt and fish the lobster, and everybody seems to be catching lobster except for me. So we get out of the water, and I'm like, dude, you gotta show me what we need to do. And so, so what he did is he started telling me about the signs to look for, more gear to consider, and then he's like, why don't you stay close to me, and, and I'll show you what I do. And then you just need to do what I do. And so that's what I did. And then I caught a lobster. And man, I was pumped. So this is at like 11 o'clock at night. So I get home with my little lobster, and I wake up my kids. And I'm like, guys, I got a lobster. And they're like, yeah, that's great, Dad. That's pretty cool. I need to go to sleep. So the next day, they're like, we want to go fish with lobster. So I geared them up, and we went out, and we went fishing with lobster. They didn't catch one, but then my neighborhood kids saw my girls getting geared up, and they wanted to do it, so then I took them. And then they started taking the other neighborhood kids lobster fishing. And then before you know it, I'm getting calls at 11 o'clock at night from the neighborhood kids saying, Greg, I caught some lobster. <laughs> they caught more lobster than I did that year. As we look at the text, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. Repentance is powerful. But what does it mean? In the simplest form, I want to say it means to change your mind. Now, repentance can have a negative effect. If you preach repentance, like Jesus did, the religious leaders were offended when John the Baptist preached repentance. But that's because the religious leaders of the day thought that they had arrived. So they were offended when someone else called them, called them out, called them to repentance. Jesus did the same. But remember, Jesus calls us to repentance because repentance is possible. Change is possible. There has to be a desire in us for change, however. Remember, when people heard the word repent, they heard in their minds that God hasn't given up on us. And it's true, because God hasn't given up on you, and God hasn't given up on you either. But the other part to this message is something that's probably a little lesser known. 
Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. What does that mean? The kingdom of heaven has come near. It means that the kingdom of heaven is touchable. It's within your grasp. It's here, it's now, it is before you. And all you need to do is reach out and take it to enter. Is it odd that professional athletes, any athlete needs a coach? No matter how good they are. They could be a pro athlete, they could be an Olympic athlete. But I think that people who step into greatness know that they need a coach. The coach calls out their greatness. He or she doesn't allow them to be satisfied with their achieved level, but the best athletes in the world need someone to call them out so they can actually step up. This is exactly what God does. He calls out of us what would otherwise remain dormant in us if he did not speak to us. As we move on to the text, we see Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers, Simon, called Peter and Andrew. They were fishing. They were casting their nets. And I don't know, maybe they weren't catching much. And Jesus said, come, follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Jesus is inviting the first disciples into his life so that they can learn how to step into God's call. When Jesus, called out this, when Jesus called out the disciples to follow him is when the beginning of the process of the kingdom of heaven meeting earth began. Jesus is saying, if you look at me, if you trust me, if you follow me, you will realize that I am the intersection between time, space, eternity, heaven, and earth. You will experience eternity. You will see me bring heaven and earth together. You will now not be bound by time, but you will live in eternity now. Jesus will call you out to live the extraordinary, unbelievable, unattainable life he has always wanted you to live, despite your limitations, despite your past, despite your indifference, despite your doubts. God can unlock a potential for infinite capacity in your life, and you will be able to do the impossible. Impossible. After his disciples decided to follow him, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, all of him. The subtext in this verse is that Jesus wasn't going out and doing this ministry by himself. He was doing this ministry with the disciples. The disciples left the conventions of their day and Jesus gave them power for the sake of others and showed them how to thrive in wild places. Jesus gave them a story to tell. God is all-powerful. He is all-known. He is all-present. When you accept the invitation of Jesus, you stand at the intersection of space and time. You have touched eternity, and eternity is in you. When he called his, his disciples... He was calling them to a life they could not achieve themselves, 
without the power of God. Jesus is always calling people to more. Jesus always calls us into who we were supposed to become, but never could without his power. He will never let you lie to yourself saying, I can't change, this is all I can be. God will never let you be defined by your failures. He will never let you be defined by your depression. He will never let you be defined by your brokenness. He will call you always to a higher life. God will say, of course you can change, because I can change you. So will you settle for less? Or will you listen and tell him, I want to be the person you see. I want to live at the intersection of time and space and step into a life that could not be locked without you in your life. The decision is yours. Now, Andy asked me to share a little bit about my life story. and I'm not the most successful guy by the world standards, but I'm also not a, <laughs> a failure by the world standards. And I, I want to be careful because it's sometimes hard to frame successes and not sound humble. And, and I, I find the, the best way to do that is, is when you frame your story in such a way that God is the main character. Because really, God is the main character in my story. And I wouldn't have made it anywhere in my life without his presence in my life. I mean, I, I felt rejection. I felt friends reject me for other friends. I, I remember when I was a kid, you know, against the chain link fence and the two captains of the kickball team selected everybody but me. And then I, by default, I had to go onto the team that was their turn to select the next guy. I felt insufficient. I mean, I was a pretty solid C student in high school, in college. But despite my lack of GPA, I have always still felt like there's something inside of me that desired more out of life. I tried playing guitar in high school, mostly for attention from the opposite sex. I was in a few bands. Maybe I'd become famous. But I felt like a failure. I've actually, I had a few friends during these years attend this thing called Bible study, and they invited me a few times. In 1996, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 18 years old. But my life wasn't much different. Until shortly thereafter, in 1998, my dad passed away. And so I was faced with a real challenge. Now I'm on my own with young siblings and a mom struggling to provide for us. The community of God helped us. What's interesting is during that time I had a contrast to friends, friends who cared about me numbing out and wanting to overcome the pain of the moment with parties, but then I had the community of God who were barely connected to come and help us with basic needs, pray for us, pray with us. I felt humble and I felt imperfect. When some friends from the local church asked me to pray about joining the worship team, I'd never asked God for anything like that before. And then godly people in my life began handing me more and more responsibility. I became a church intern. I started doing ministry. God took me to travels around the world to bring the gospel and music to places like Jamaica, different parts of Mexico and Peru. I was enjoying church ministry, but that still didn't feel like this call in my life. It didn't feel like the place I should stay. I finally finished junior college and thought it'd be cool to get a cool science job. And when I did, I thought I arrived at a pretty good place. 
then at this place, in a biotech company, God placed Christian men in my life who called me out to be more. They said, get your degree, finish college. I didn't think I could, but they wouldn't let me settle for less. They catapulted me towards greater things. So I did. I graduated from San Diego Christian College with a bachelor's in biology. I felt like I wanted to do more. So I worked in infectious disease research for a year. I was still in the worship band. I met Carrie at this youth camp, and after we were married, we started attending this great church. I worked in various research jobs during those years, but God put in my life, again, friends who encouraged me not to settle for less, not to settle for mediocrity, and they challenged me to expand my influence. Expand your influence, Greg. If you're capable, pursue a higher degree. Start a company. Teach. Whatever it takes to serve others and influence others for the sake of the gospel. So I did. I took four junior college courses, and eventually I applied to many different things. Sorry, technology fails. I really don't need to know since it is my life. <laughs> um, you know, I went through a period where I'm really, really grateful that my wife is so patient. Um, I went through an exploration of what the heck am I going to do with my life. I, I took the LSAT thinking I was going to be a lawyer. I explored paramedic school, being a firefighter. I even thought at one point that I was going to be an underwater welder paramedic. I've never scuba dived in a day in my life. I don't know anything about welding or being a paramedic. Um, I even uh, was so involved with church at this, at this point that I was considering a seminary. And um, I actually got a full-ride scholarship to seminary. But I didn't step into that future. I didn't feel right. I remember having a conversation with Carrie's dad, who was a physician, and uh, I remember feeling inspired in how he used his position as an opportunity for the gospel, but always being mindful of the ethics of that position. He encouraged me to consider PA school, so I actually applied to eight different schools, and the one school that I wanted to get into most, because of my poor GPA, I was least likely to get into. So I applied, I prayed with my wife, and it was the only school that I actually got accepted into. So I felt like that was a clear sign from God, and I stepped into that future. And during that time, even though it was like 30 units a semester and a grueling uh, curriculum, um, I, I started a kind of a small group in the midst of that. And the small group was simply us in a study room around the table, and it's the first time I'd been in a circular conversation with Catholics, atheists, and Muslims all around the same table having a conversation about God. Then I had no idea. I was humbled at the end of the year to realize that my colleagues awarded me the class leadership award, and I was just trying to step into my calling. But it didn't stop there. God called me to be a father three times in the pursuit I love doing. Now I work on people's hearts. 
I work in cardiothoracic surgery as a PA. I get to participate in life-saving surgeries. I get to harvest vein out of people's legs and use that to bypass blockages of the heart. I get to help a miraculous, almost procedure called heart transplant surgery, where you get to see a dead heart reanimate into a live heart. What a picture of the gospel you think about it. In 2016, I remember sitting at a barbecue with my family, and I started getting these incessant text messages from my colleagues, and I'm like, babe, my colleagues keep texting me to go to this event down at the USS Midway. I think we should probably go. I don't really want to. I'm having a good time. So we heard up and got dressed, and we rushed down there, and as we arrived, I hear the CFO announce my name as the Sharp 2016 Employee of the Year. I didn't know that was going to happen. But I almost missed it because I wanted some ribs. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, I, I, I took that responsibility pretty seriously and I, I leaned into the idea of servant leadership. And I started trying to mentor my staff, mentor my colleagues, and invest into the, the workplace. And unbeknownst to me, my, my boss one day calls me and says, Hey, your colleague mentioned you and, and recommended for you to be the supervisor over a team of your peers. Would you agree to do that? And so I did. And so now, now I have the opportunity to sit at the same table with chief administration, with physicians, and with leaders of the hospital and influence. And I do get an opportunity once in a while to speak God into their lives. In addition, God has called me to help here with my gifts my talents, my resources here at Water's Edge Church, and to serve him and invest into this beautiful community of faith. See, Jesus invites us into a story that yields life, hope, and justice. Your story is best when God is the main character. If you invite people into your life without God, all you do is invite them to yourself. But a life with God is what makes our stories worthwhile and worth telling. He takes our failures, he takes our brokenness, he takes our pain, he takes our depression, and he calls us out to a higher life. When God calls us out, he calls us to expand our influence. He is a source of increased capacity, his time and his energy are limitless. Why not connect to the living God who will value the same? Jesus calls us to a higher life so that through his power, we will bring healing, hope, and love to a world who so desperately needs it. We will shine like a great light in the darkness. In the land of death, we will bring life. We will show that the light of Jesus is the dawn of a new day. We will bring freedom to those who are imprisoned and held captive. Jesus' plan for the world has always been you and me. Jesus will not let you go. Don't let go of me. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died to give us all new life. Will you give me your life? As we think about that, I want to ask that we just bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, what could it be to connect to the Creator of the heavens and the earth. 
please teach us how to live out what you call us to live out. Please teach us, Lord, how you see us and to bring the kingdom of heaven to the here and now. I ask God that you bless this church here, and I ask that you bless the people of this church. I ask God that you would use this church as a light to the community around us. That we would be known as a people who sees the good of others, as a people who listen, as a people who reflect the very love of God to a world who needs it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to me today. Um, there's a couple next steps that I want you to consider. This week, I want to challenge you all to call out people for the good things that they do. If you see people doing good things, I want you to call them out. And then I want you to email Andy. <laughs> I would love to hear about it. You can email me too. But I would love to hear about the good that you see in the world around you. Because so many times we've got to hear those stories and we don't hear them enough. We've got to hear the stories of the goodness of the things around us because that's how the people of God see the kingdom of God in action. The second thing I want to do is I want to ask you to expand your influence. If you need to get a higher education, step into a job. If you need to get that degree, start a business, for the sake of the gospel, expand your influence. But it doesn't have to be that grandiose. Maybe you need to just take a small step and join a community. Become part of a small group so that you can know and be known. Or maybe if you've been there for a while, consider stepping into leadership so that you can be that voice of a coach that calls and pushes people up and out to greater things. Can we do that? Can we call out the good that we see in others? And can we expand our influence? Well, then my job is done. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right.